Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. The Law Enforcement Today Show is brought to you in part by Transformations Treatment Center. Many are using the term epidemic to describe the current problem of drug and or alcohol abuse in the United States. Virtually everyone we know has been negatively impacted by this problem. Yet for so many that are experiencing the devastating effects of drug and or alcohol abuse, they don't know who to turn to for help. Who can we trust to care for our loved ones? Transformations Treatment Center is one of the most respected, ethical, and professional drug and alcohol treatment centers in the world with a strong focus on individualized care, offering a wide range of holistic, specialized, and medically supervised treatment programs. We know that many of you have questions. Take the time to call Transformations Treatment Center for the answers. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Or go online to transformationstreatment.center. Calling us from Las Vegas, Nevada area, we have William Tullock on the phone. Uh, William is a retired Troy, Michigan police lieutenant, and he's also a former civilian employee at Las Vegas Metro Police Department. Uh, Bill, thanks so much for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Day Show. Very much appreciated. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to have you here. You've got quite a story. Before we get into details of that, you are currently writing a book, correct? I am, like many others. Yeah. I always said the two things I want to do when I retire from police work was write a book, and the other one was to open an Irish tavern. And thank God, I didn't do the tavern bit. And secondly, I tried writing a book, but I wasn't very good at it. Well, it, it, it's been a uh, actually a labor of, of love, uh, just kind of uh, putting down into words uh, some of the memories of the last 37 years. There's so many great stories that police have, and in, in part shame on us because we haven't been telling those stories as a as a group we have a few authors to do joseph wamba is one that comes to mind and there there are others that have done a great job but there's so many great stories that they would make great novels whether they be fiction based off fact or inspired by fact or a fact-based novel well, imagine for a moment uh, that there are about 600,000 retired cops out there and many more active than all of the security officers. If we could capture just that market itself, uh, they could be bestsellers. Yeah, they, they could. And I don't know about you. You're a little bit older than me. Uh, and I'm, I'm as old as I ever thought I'd be. I've never thought I'd be this old ever my entire life. But uh, I was motivated a lot by Joseph Wamba and his writing when I was a teenager. And he was, a, I believe, L.A. Uh, city police officer. And, and he wrote numerous novels. And some of them came television shows and movies as well. And uh, I, I loved his stuff. Well, I had a chance to meet uh, Joseph Wamba, who I believe was a detective sergeant with LAPD. And uh, the book I'm writing is going to be called... Uh, Big Beaver Blues, and it's going to be very reminiscent of his choir boys. 
Okay, gotcha. Because I, I was just talking with um, one of my sisters, and we talked about an old movie she saw. Uh, I believe it was James Woods and uh, Ted Danson. Uh, don't don't quote me on that. Were uh, a movie adaptation of the book The Onion Field. True story yeah. about one police officer was killed, another one that, that managed to escape. They were abducted uh, in an onion field in, in Bakersfield, California. And that novel, and that movie itself, hit me hard. We had a very, very similar uh, incident take place uh, in the Troy Police Department back in the, I believe it was the late 70s, early 80s, where uh, two of our uh, officers uh, ran into an individual who had recently escaped from prison and was uh, headed up the freeway to uh, uh, meet his girlfriend up in Flint. And uh, they stopped him on the side of the road, and lo and behold, he got the drop on both of them. And thank God they both survived, but uh, it could have ended up just like the onion field. And those kind of stories, they've been happening forever. And we'll get back to this part of the conversation later on, but uh, there's so much violence going on nowadays, especially directed towards police, that people tend to act like it's something new. It's not new. This has been going on for a very, very long time. But going back to your book, uh, the tentative title, again, is going to be? Big Beaver Blues. And the reason for that is uh, our uh, police station was located on Big Beaver, exit 69, in Troy, Michigan. And where can people get more information about you and your upcoming book? Well, as I said, I hope to have it done by the uh, the end of this year. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to go the, the self-publishing route or uh, perhaps I can get uh, Bantam or one of the other big uh, publishers to, to look at it. I've uh, showed it to a number of people and uh, they have nothing but uh, good things to say about it. I can't wait to hear it. I can't wait to see it and hopefully find time to read it. I say find time. Look, I thought at some point in my life when I retired from police work, I'd have nothing but time and free time. And the truth is, I don't. I have no free time whatsoever. Well, I'm in the very same boat. Uh, I've worked for two different police departments, thought I was going to retire, and uh, my time is taken up by the the three munchkins and uh, volunteering at their school as much as I can. Now, you say retire from both. You, to put it bluntly, almost lost your life in the Troy, Michigan Police Department. Is that correct? I did uh, many, many years ago, April 26, 1972. And what happened that day? Well, I had just come back from uh, working uh, a task force with the Michigan State Police and Oakland County Sheriff's Department. We were called the Narcotics Enforcement Team. And I had only been back in the street for about two weeks. And this particular day, uh, I was working uh, a radar car. That's back in the day when you would take uh, one of the detectives' unmarked cars, put a uh, uh, radar detector in it, and you'd go out and write all the tickets you could. This particular day, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, received a call on the uh, from dispatch that uh, shots were being fired in a nearby subdivision. So I was probably half a mile away headed in that direction. When I pulled into the subdivision uh, of little story, story and a half houses, there were probably 30, 40 people standing out on their front yards, and I could hear the uh, multiple cracks from a from a 
very, very loud, high-powered rifle. Didn't have any emergency equipment, didn't have a shotgun, didn't have a, a PA system or anything. I parked in uh, the street a house or two down from where the shots were coming from and got out of my car, full uniform, and started screaming at the top of my lungs for all of these idiots uh, who were standing in their front yards to get the heck out of there, you know, that they were in danger uh, from this gunfire. At that point in time, I then ran around to the side of the house next door uh, where there was a basket weave fence with big gaps in it. I looked through the basket weave fence, and I could see the barrel of a rifle sticking out of uh, the upper story window and firing at vehicles that were about one block over. So he was just, uh, it was just like, in, for lack of better a barricade situation and firing randomly at anybody that was a potential target. Absolutely. We, I, I heard on the radio while I was en route that uh, a number of vehicles and uh, passengers and drivers had been struck on the road. So, you know, I'm, I'm in a good position to observe. Well, let's go take a but, short break, and we'll get back to that in just a few moments. We are talking with Bill Tullock. Bill is a retired police lieutenant from the Troy, Michigan Police Department and also a retired civilian employee from Las Vegas Metro Police Department. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Catch all the episodes of Law Enforcement Today's show as a podcast for free. Do a Google search for Law Enforcement Today podcast or just go to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and you'll find us right there. In the podcasting world, there's a huge amount of interest in true crime stories. Don't believe me? Check. There's hundreds of them, but very few tell the stories of the heroes that fight horrific crime, whether it be law enforcement officers or everyday citizens. So we decide to rectify that. We tell their stories on the True Crime Fighters podcast. That's right. It's called True Crime Fighters podcast. Do Google search. Subscribe today. Each episode is no longer than 15 minutes long. Also, be sure to search for and like us on Facebook. Search for True Crime Fighters Podcast. This portion of the show brought to you by Mr. James Mather of Synergy Financial. Are you looking for ways to increase your financial stability in future? If you're interested in earning more and working with families to help protect their income and future, head to MrJamesMather.com. That's spelled M-R-J-A-M-E-S-M-A-T-H-E-R.com. Again, get free information about this great opportunity at MrJamesMather.com. Return conversation with Bill Tullock, William Tullock, who is retired Troy, Michigan police lieutenant, also retired Las Vegas Metro police civilian employee. And before we went to break, Bill, we're talking about back in 1972, and I hate to say this, 1972, I was a freshman in high school, and uh, I'm sure you were a very young man, but that was, for many people, seems like ancient history, but for you... It was a big, big event. You were at the scene of a call for a man randomly shooting at, at any targets of opportunity with a high-powered rifle, correct? Correct. And you were uh, peering at him through, a, you said, a basket-weave fence, and you could see uh, a rifle sticking out of the window, and he was taking pot shots at people. What happened then? Well, I worked my way around to the front corner of the house next door, and thought I had a 
right location where I could observe both the front and the side of the house. At about that time, I had a, a young boy come running across the yard, and he's saying, don't shoot, don't shoot, don't shoot. Well, I stepped off from my position of, of cover and concealment and went to this young boy. And at about that time, felt my, my right arm go numb. My gun went flying out of my hand, and I fell to the ground. So you've been shot. I'd been shot, and, and, and what had happened is uh, there was a second window which was facing the sitting sun, and that window was partially covered with a black plastic bag. So I, I could not see anything through that window, but obviously with my rather deep voice, I drew the attention of the gunman who went from the back of the house to the side of the house, and he let me have it from a distance of maybe 40 feet. One of the things I think people need to understand here is you're talking about 1972. This is before the the advent of most apartments with soft body armor, correct? Correct. Uh, also, you probably were carrying a 38 revolver or a 357 revolver. Was carrying a 357. Okay, and about the extent of your equipment was a nightstick, a revolver, and we always jokingly said mace that only worked on police and innocent bystanders. Absolutely right. We we were ill-equipped to handle most situations. Would it be fair to say if you had been equipped with something and trained with something like a patrol rifle, whether it be an AR or something of that nature, you've been in a better position? Oh, absolutely. I would not have had to close the distance like I did. And even if I'd had uh, a PA system in my vehicle, I would have been able to stay within the vehicle and shout commands rather than have to yell it by a voice. Yeah, and when you were in position of concealment and they couldn't see you, but when the young boy came out, he became aware of your location, at which time he he fired a shot at you. Do you know what kind of rifle it was, what caliber? I do. It was a 30-30 with soft point ammo. Wow. Uh, See, I'm not a a gun nut. I'm not an expert in in ballistics or anything like that. That sounds like a high-velocity hunting rifle. That's exactly what it is, especially in Michigan. That was probably the favored weapon of the deer hunters. I want to step back. We're going to talk about the incident where you were shot and what happened next. I want to change people's focus of attention for just a moment. And we hear all the time in the news. I'm sure you hear it. I'm sure you see it. The the militarization of police. They take great offense, a lot of people, that police being armed with AR rifles, with having any kind of equipment like the uh, MRAP vehicles where they can rescue people. And I tell them that all came about a result of horrific incidents like yours, like the Austin Bell Tower incident, like the bank shootout in North Hollywood, where officers were armed with just a revolver, and they were going up against heavy-duty weapons, and they hit officers in the street, and they couldn't get to them. Well, people have to remember that uh, those who are shooting at police officers are intending to kill them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the the, the days of uh, the, the sidearm, whether it be a, a revolver or even a semi-auto pistol, uh, you know, we're, we're outgunned just about every time we go out there. Absolutely. Bill, I, I, I had to have a meeting with a Baltimore City 
councilman about one of the last shootings I was in where the the, the murderer was armed with a Colt 45 semi-automatic and I had a 38 revolver and I was in Mill Street and had fired four rounds and I had two left and I told the, the city councilman there was no concealment or cover. I had no idea what I was going to do. Well, and you were talking a little bit earlier about body armor. Take a look at the vast majority of police shootings today. They're not the bad guy isn't shooting into the body of the police officer. They're all taking headshots because yeah. they know that. Yeah, it, and this all goes from horrible lessons learned. And I, I want people to realize it's not. And I, I, I hate to say this, but there's so many say, "Well, my small sheriff's department doesn't need that." Yes, they do. Those bad things happen there as well. It's not just in the big cities. It's it can happen anywhere. And Bill, you are a living example. You're at this scene. You wind up getting shot because a, a young boy wound up distracting you, and you, you inadvertently gave away your location, and the guy hit you. Do you remember what happened next? Oh, I absolutely do. Uh, I'm. On the ground, I could actually hear the uh, the gunman uh, rack another round into the chamber. Uh, I then figured, geez, I better better get as much cover and concealment as I can. So I know that there was a large rock uh, in the front of the the house next door. I I initially looked to where my gun was and didn't think I could get to it because I'd have to expose myself. So I did a belly crawl as best I could, shoved my arm back into the, the sleeve of my shirt and crawled behind that rock and waited for help to come. How long did it take for help to get there? I know it seems like an eternity, but was the, re- the, the real response time? I'm thinking probably 45 seconds to a minute. Bravest, bravest guy I know was one of our canine officers and had a, a station wagon. And he pulled right up onto the front uh, lawn, put his vehicle between me and the shooter, threw me into the uh, back seat of the uh, the station wagon, and then I could hear him go on the radio that uh, they had positioned an ambulance nearby. And he says, I haven't got time to wait for the ambulance or get to the ambulance. He conveyed me immediately to uh, the hospital, which was probably oh, five, six miles away. Uh, this man, this backup officer, what was his name? Uh, Mike Astor. Never forget him. Is Mike still uh, was with us today? He was one of my uh, FTOs uh, when I first came on, and I owe my life to him. There's so many people like that, so many men and women. And I look back at my career. I'm very fortunate, Bill. Uh, I was never shot. Uh, I had people try, and I wound up having multiple surgeries as a result of a so-called, I'm doing the air quotes as we speak, unarmed man trying to shoot me with my service weapon. And people saved my life many times, men and women, over the course of my career. And I'm extremely grateful. We are talking with Bill Tullock. Bill is a retired Troy, Michigan police lieutenant. He was shot in the line of duty. He's going to tell you more about that story in just a few moments. This is Law Enforcement Show. Don't go anywhere. Finally, our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. 
In addition to multiple rehabilitation and holistic treatments for all those suffering from substance abuse problems, the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformation Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program where law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the separate and highly specialized treatment they need. Got questions? They have the answers at the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at helpforourheroes.com. Radio is and should always be free. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is also a podcast and it is free. Costs you nothing. Do a Google search for Law Enforcement Today podcast or go to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and you'll find us right there. Back to our conversation with William Tullock. William, we call him Bill, is a retired Troy, Michigan police lieutenant. Troy is a suburb of Detroit, correct? Yes. Now, back in 1972, way back in the days of black and white television and uh, big Ford police cruisers and single bubblegum blue lights and no soft body armor and everybody, all the police carried revolvers, uh, you, you got dispatched to a call and you were wound up being shot by a, a suspect who was barricaded in a home shooting randomly at people as they drove by and you were shot with a 30-30 rifle. Um, when we left before we went to break, a backup officer, a canine officer, pulled up, put his vehicle between you and the suspect, loaded you in a car, and took off. Did you remain conscious through the, the whole drive to the hospital? I did. Uh, I'm laying in the back seat. Uh, his German Shepherd was uh, drooling through the screen, and uh, I tried to maintain some kind of a conversation with Mike uh, while we drove to the hospital at you know breakneck speeds. I focused my attention on my wife, who happened to be seven months pregnant at the time. I can't even begin to imagine what that would be like. I, I can try, but the truth is, like I said, I was very fortunate in my career I was never shot. I, I had many friends who were, many people I worked with, and you know that's not the, the type of conversation you have over beers. So when you talk about this, it you're giving us insight into your state of mind. Your wife's pregnant, and were you, was it going through your mind that this was a life-threatening situation? Oh, I knew it was. Uh, as I said, uh, I had to physically pick up my arm and shove it into my my long sleeve shirt sleeve because it was only being held together with a little bit of, of muscle and skin. Give you a little bit more background. I come from a, a police family. My dad did 32 years with a uh, suburban Detroit police department. I did 37 between Troy and Las Vegas. My younger brother uh, is currently 45 years in the business, and my brother-in-law is 54 years. So you know, I, I think from day one you prepare yourself for something like this happening. And it's amazing how the mind reacts and moves in slow motion to uh, you know what's taking place. That's the best way of putting it. it. Experts talk about things like sensory deprivation, auditory exclusion, uh, I just call it tunnel vision. And when I went through my things, 
you're absolutely right. Things seem to slow down. I couldn't hear people in the background talking to me as well as I should. I just became focused on the threat. And that was when the, well, the shootings were occurring. But I was not hit like you. And you're in the in the car ride to the hospital, how do you keep your focus and not going into what if this is the end? Well, Mike Mike did a super job too. He he engaged me in in conversation as much as he could. The trip to the hospital. I mean, I could hear the surrounding. Uh, PDs were setting up uh, roadblocks, you know, so that we could get through without uh, having to stop for any of the traffic signals. When we finally got to the hospital, they wheeled me directly into an emergency, and I got a little bit ticked off when we were in emergency because I could hear the the blood dripping on the floor, and all the doctors were interested in was the wound that I received to the abdomen. They were much more concerned about that than my arm, which, you know, was just laying there virtually useless. How many gunshot injuries did you suffer? Just received one, but the bullet fragmented. So it, it, it took the right arm off at the elbow, and then I had uh, uh, fragments that uh, caught me in the abdomen in a couple of locations. And, and I can remember the emergency room doctor, a, a female, had the, uh, the fattest fingers I've, I've ever seen, and that's all she did was keep probing through the abdomen, uh, uh, looking for those fragments. How do you keep yourself together when this is going on? How do you, how do you prevent panic from entering into your mind when th- this is going on? You know, I think it's just the cop's instinct of, of survival. You know, you were talking about tunnel vision earlier. How was I able to hear from a distance of maybe 35, 40 feet the sound of a round actually being chambered into a rifle? But I, I can remember it to this day as if it, it, it happened, you know, an hour ago. The amazing thing is I can understand everything you're talking about with the sounds, identifying it, the threat and behaving and reacting to it. There's an old saying we have is it's training. You you rely on your training because quite often we thought we would knew or I thought I knew what I would do in bad situations, but often what I did was something totally different. And it's a combination of reacting to what's going on and relying on your training. Did you find that to be the case with you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, expect the unexpected. Expect the unexpected. Have a game plan in place. If something should go wrong, have a backup plan. But always, always, always go back to your training. Another thing that we always used to hear is I didn't hear, I haven't heard that phrase in a long time. You just muttered. Uh, but the one was complacency kills. In police work, it really, really does. And you know, ideally, we would love to train, you know, one, two, three days a week, but there's not the, the budget for it. So you're busy out there handling radio calls, you're doing other things, you're doing police work. And when the, the blank hits a fan, it happens very quick. And there's, I would love to say that there was a lot of training that we, we relied upon, but the truth is there wasn't. Oh, you're absolutely right. Think what I really bring from this is just the matter that you've been shot doesn't mean you're going to die. Uh, if you've been hit and you're still alive, chances are pretty darn good, you know, that you're going to you're going to survive. There's the old saying: if you're breathing in and out, you got a good shot. Uh, Absolutely. And 
there have been many people I've had on the show that were clinically dead and they were brought back and, and they're leading full happy lives now. This is the kind of nightmare that goes through a cop's mind. And you know, I didn't think about these sort of things, Bill, when I was hitting the street. We knew they could happen, but it wasn't something you kept in the forefront of your mind. I think that was a self-defense mechanism because if you really thought about it all the time, you would, you'd be paralyzed. You couldn't get your job done. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And to make matters even worse than this, I told you my wife was seven and a half months pregnant. Uh, she wasn't home when the officers tried to, you know, contact her. She found out about my being shot on the nightly news, uh, where they actually mentioned my name and went live to the hospital. Oh my goodness, we should have her on someday just to talk about uh, what she went through. What was the extent of your injuries? Well, I, I sustained a, a gunshot wound to the right arm just above the elbow. Uh, they had to fuse the arm, uh, fuse the elbow, and take about three inches uh, off of the, the humerus. So for the last you know 48 years, I've lived with a, a right arm that uh, doesn't bend uh, and a right hand that I've got use of a couple of the fingers, but uh, it's difficult to, to hold a pencil or to pull the trigger on a firearm. Which is going to make the rest of the story even more amazing. When we return, we're going to talk more with William Tullock about what happened after he was shot in the line of duty as a member of the Troy, Michigan Police Department. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Want to fly somewhere? Looking for cheap flights or cheap tickets? Then call. That's right. Call the low-cost airline travel hotline now for prices so low, we can't publish them anywhere. Low-cost airlines has all kinds of cheap travel deals. Fly domestically and save up to 75%. You can even fly internationally and save even more. Yes, fly anywhere in the world and save a lot of money on your plane tickets. We'll even save you money with cheap travel deals on hotels, rental cars, even complete travel packages. So don't book your tickets until you call us first for the absolute cheapest prices on U.S. and international airline tickets and hotels. Call right now for prices so low they can't be published. Travel experts are here 24-7 to help. 800-451-8603. 800-451-8603. That's 800-451-8603. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. I'm John J. Wiley, retired Baltimore Police Sergeant, on the phone with William Tullock, a retired Troy, Michigan Police Lieutenant. Back in 1972, Troy was shot with a 30-30 rifle in the line of duty. And when's the break? You said the extent of your injuries were extensive. You, your one arm was shorter than the other. It was fused. You had major damage to your hand. Yes, also had abdominal injuries. Yes, 
the abdominal to me was uh, inconsequential, but uh, as I said, that's the one the doctors were worried about uh, peritonitis setting in. Yeah, well, back in the day, if that happened, if they punctured an intestine, something like that with around or shrapnel, it, it could be the end of the story for you. Having said that, gone through this, how long did it take you in the hospital, out of hospital, rehab and all that to recover? How about if I tell you to this very day? Yeah. Uh, right, right now, just to tell you the pain levels, uh, it feels as if my right hand is in a vice being squeezed 24-7. But as far as actual hospital stays, I think I had 10 or 12 different surgeries uh, over the first couple of months, continue to have surgeries uh, for uh, a year or so after. The big problem was, since the arm was severed and all of the the nerves were severed, I was fortunate in that I got some regeneration of the nerves. But that took about two, two and a half years before I I could even move the fingers on my right hand. How old were you when this occurred? 24. So you're a very young man. Back then, we didn't have a lot of the retirement benefits that they have nowadays. And even nowadays, we have reports of severely injured officers that are just being fired. What was your status with the department when you were so severely injured? Well, uh, immediately they put me on uh, the insurance plan, which gave me about 70% of what my actual salary was. At the time, I think it was making about $7,500 a year. This happened in April. In July, we had a new contract, and while the police officers, active police officers, got a pay raise, mine was frozen at 70% of what I was making at the time. You know, while we were going through uh, the rehab process, the powers to be in the, the city were already talking about, well, geez, if he, if he doesn't regain any use of the hand, we're going to have to pension him off or retrain him to take some type of a, a civilian job in the building department or whatever else. And that, that probably caused me more concern than the injury to the arm and the hand. Thankfully, a couple of city council people stepped in and said, hey, this guy got hurt on the job, you know. He's protecting the citizens of Troy, and there's absolutely no way that we're going to pension him off. So uh, they they kept me on, gave me some administrative posts within the police department. I, I worked the property room for a number of years. Uh, I worked the records for a number of years. I tested for promotion, actually and came out fairly high on the promotional list, but I was called into the, the chief's office, and he said, hey, Bill, he said, you know, with, with your physical injury, there's absolutely no way we can promote you. However, uh, we've got a new uh, position opening up within the department that is uh, backed with some federal funds, and uh, I was one of the first officers to uh, go into the crime prevention section. I did that for a number of years, and then it came time for promotions again. So uh, I tested, came out pretty high on the list, and this time we had a new chief. And the chief says, can you do the job? I says, you know, absolutely. So I got promoted to sergeant, 
and they put me in charge of the crime prevention section, also gave me the juvenile section, and then uh, they established uh, an, another task, being the public information officer for the department. So I did that for a number of years. And then, lo and behold, it comes time for promotions again, so I tested for lieutenant, and came out number two, and they were making two two new lieutenant positions. City manager came to me and he says, "Hey, he says you're you're number two on the list. We'll promote you, but all lieutenants have to go back to the street in uniform." So this is 1984. I got shot in uh, uh, 1972. Hadn't worn a uniform. Hadn't been on the street. And lo and behold, uh, my position to lieutenant is uh, a street officer in uniform on the midnight ship. And I took that. Well, hats off to you because so many people would have chosen to to just ride out their career as best they could inside. And I'm not faulting them for that at, at, at all. And, and a lot of agencies don't even give their, their wounded that opportunity. So my hat's off to them for doing that as well. So you, you, you fought hard to get back. You got promoted lieutenant. Now you're a patrol lieutenant. You're back on the street. Did your subordinate officers and sergeants view you differently as a cat who was shot in the line of duty? I don't think they did. The, the very first night back, kind of a unique situation, too. Our lieutenants were all wearing white shirts with fancy gold doodads. First night back, guess what kind of a run I, I went on? Uh, a gunman. Yeah, oh my goodness. I was going to say, that would be like karma. Yeah, it, it, I'll tell you what, it makes the old sphincter muscles tighten up. Absolutely. Go back in the conversation. You said you're still recovering today and you still have pain. Oh, I do. Uh, uh, you'll never see me without a ball in my hand that I'm squeezing. Don't take any medications other than uh, an occasional Tylenol. I, I tough it out as best I can. I even took up uh, latching, latch hooking rugs just to, to focus some attention to get away from the pain. That, that's actually the best way to do, deal with it is to focus your attention somewhere else. Here's your chance to tell people in America something they just don't get about policing. And with the current climate, and people love this ACAB, all cops are, you know what, and death to police and all that stuff. What would you say to them? John, to this very day, I always have a badge in my back pocket. In addition to that badge in my back pocket, I never go anywhere unless I've got a, uh, a, a handgun strapped to my, uh, my belt. I am always on patrol. The only difference is my patrol area is much larger than it ever was. I don't get paid, but we're always out there looking out for the sheep. That's the thing you said very, very well. When I retired, which was unexpectedly, my oath to enforce a law retired, but my oath to protect and serve and and particularly to protect and back up other officers has no expiration date. And I suspect I'll be doing that till the day I die. Well, good for you. I, I told you earlier that I spend a lot of my time volunteering at my Munchkin schools. With all of the efforts to defund the police, especially school resource officers and whatever else, I'm on pat- patrol in that school and on that campus when I'm there. The other thing, you made a great point, Bill. 
quite honestly, the amount of training we got was not sufficient. It was better than a lot of people realized, but it wasn't everything we needed, especially when it came to the self-defense stuff and use of force stuff and, and handgun stuff. And this idea of defunding police, thinking that'll make police more proficient at what they do, just the logic does not make sense at all. Oh, you're absolutely right. Uh, There are always going to be two-legged animals out there looking for vulnerable victims. And if we take the police out of the equation, there are going to be far more victims. Would you compare, how would you compare uh, Michigan and Las Vegas? Well, you've got probably better police coverage out out here in Las Vegas. The the police department between uh, road patrol detectives, the jail, there's there's probably five, 6,000 employees with Las Vegas Metro. There again, they're patrolling an a, a area the size of, of Delaware. But I think today... You know, I, I think some of the smaller suburban police departments probably have as good a training as anybody else. And finally, you know, I think more and more monies up till this current time have been released to, to better equip them. Bill, I agree with you 100%. And hopefully things uh, in the funding area will continue to get better and better. Because be honest with you, when I call 911 because a family emergency, I want the best of the best showing up at my house. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Thank you, John. It was a pleasure. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. We'll see you there. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today Show. We've got another great guest heading your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.